The Spectator combines incisive political analysis with books and arts reviews of unrivaled authority. Subscribe today for just £12 and receive a 12-week subscription in print and online, and get a £20 Amazon gift voucher absolutely free. Go to spectator.co.uk slash summer. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Oscar Edmondson and I'm joined today by Katie Balls and Matt Dathan, Home Affairs Editor at The Times. Now, this morning, the UK's electoral watchdog, the Electoral Commission, said that it had been the victim of a complex cyber attack by hostile actors. Now, Matt, we don't know who these hostile actors are, but what do we know? Well, we know that in August 2021, the Electoral Commission was hacked by unknown hostile actors, but it was only until October 2022, so 14 months later, that the Electoral Commission actually found out that they'd been hacked. And it was only uh, on Tuesday of this week that they actually disclosed it publicly. So there's a lot of questions about why it took them so long to find out in the first place, and secondly, why it took them so long to uh, reveal this publicly. The the, uh, Electoral Commission has disclosed that the hackers got access to the open and closed register. So that means that the names and addresses of everyone who has uh, signed up to the electoral poll and the electoral register from 2014 to 2022 had their names and addresses accessed by hackers and potentially leaked online. There's a third register, which is the anonymous register. It's a very small number of people who have to remain completely anonymous for security reasons or for reasons of, uh, so there might be victims of domestic abuse, um, but that database was not hacked. Mm. And, w- and what does this mean sort of for everyday voters in the democratic process? Do we think that is this going to sort of put an end to conversations about e-voting and things like that when it comes to general elections or, or not? Well, yeah, that's a very good point. That's, the Electoral Commission is explaining why they're, they're claiming that it's not uh, a threat to the actual democratic process of um, voting because of Britain's very antiquated system of having to turn up in person with paper, with manual voting system, either in person or by post, but also the way that we count it is done by manually by, by human beings on the night of the, of the vote. So it's very hard for a cyber attack to attack that process. So the outcome of elections isn't what's at threat here. But what is at threat is the trust and faith that uh, voters in the UK has of our electoral uh, watchdog who contains uh, their information and details, even when, like I do, opt out of my information being sold on to um, credit agencies or to phone book companies on the open register. My information could have been um, accessed by these hostile actors and it might deter some people from participating in future elections in the first place. So the cyber attack, Katie, has been a bit of a distraction from what has been a week dominated by small boats. Um, But yet there is plenty more (laughs) happening. (laughs) Yeah, we've had migrants refusing to get on the Bibby Stockham barge, Lee Anderson's comments about that, and a new deal with Turkey. But, I mean, should we start with Lee Anderson's comments? What, What did you make of that? Yeah, it's interesting because I think what we've seen this summer so far is much more active attempt by Number 10 to set the agenda by trying to uh, fill the grid with news. But I think if you think back to some of the recent recesses, or perhaps the one when Labour did attack ads, you've often had the Tories criticised for not finding a way, leaving a, a news vacuum and allowing others in. Yeah. So this is supposed to be Boats Week. And initially, they've managed to you know get it on topics they want. Now... 
it's still boats week, <laughs> but we're apparently talking about Tories saying different things yeah. um sometimes conflicting, yeah. um which is uh, also what happened, I think, a bit with um the oil and gas week. So you get to about day three and then Tory unity starts to drop slightly. Um, but we've ultimately had Lee Anderson first off saying that if people don't like the barge, they can F off uh, back to France. Now, and I think that was actually fairly Tory unity quite high on the barometer um, because you had Alex Chalk who I think is seen as a pretty one nation style Tory mm. who is the justice secretary and a, you know, a long time scenic backer he did a morning round in which he was asked about Lee Anderson's comments quite different politicians I was effectively saying you know Lee Anderson he's, he speaks bluntly people like that mm. and actually lots of people do feel indignation about um, the cost of these hotels so I do agree with him what I think Alex Chalk and others will find it hard to agree with Lee Anderson on his latest comment, which is effectively saying the government's immigration plan is not working. Mm. And he said that we've, as a government, they've said they're going to fix this. We have to be honest, it hasn't worked. Now, that's clearly quite off message, particularly coming from someone who is deputy chairman. Now, when Lee Anderson was picked to be deputy chairman, it was at the time it got a lot of attention because he is someone who has a little bit of a cult following, I would say, within the Tory party. Yeah. If you speak to Tory MPs, even before he was deputy chairman, they said all the associations wanted Lee Anderson to speak at them. It would always come up as a thing, as the as the person. But the problem of it is, for example, you had him join the New Conservatives group, which is effectively a pressure lobby group. So if you're deputy chairman, even if you now forgone the salary because you're making more money from GB News, mm-hmm. um, you shouldn't be, well, traditionally at least, you wouldn't be imagined to be lobbying the government for a change in policy. Mm-hmm. So I think he has form here, but you now have a situation where Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister, is having to go out and say, actually, you know, this MP is wrong, the, who we've given an important role to, our plan is working. Yeah. And Matt, you've written about Robert Jenrick and Lee Anderson. How, how do you think this sort of small boats is, is splitting the Tories? Well, I think, as uh, Katie said, it, um, it really sort of derails their small boats week because at the, this morning you, the, the headlines are dominated by Robert Jenrick, the immigration minister, saying that uh, his deputy chairman is wrong to say they've failed on immigration and straight after Jenrick comes on um, Yvette Cooper on the airwaves and is basically given an open goal to shoot at, uh, doesn't even have to talk about Labour's own pretty uh, lightweight policies on immigration. Um, so um, I'm not sure, you know, it's very useful for the government to have uh, these uh, disagreements played out on air because every single Tory MP now this week will be asked whether they think that Tories have failed on immigration. Jake Berry was on Times Radio this morning and uh, was asked about it and I'm sure every other Tory MP this week will be asked about it and they can't exactly they've say they've not failed. Mm. Um, Matt, you often at the Times do um, you know progress checks on the five priorities oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and of course you know this is very much your beat. Do you think the plan's working? Are you Team Lee or are you Team Generic? <laughs> I'm, I'm Team uh, Neutral. And, and, and but who do you think's it. more correct? <laughs> uh, was, well, I mean, I don't think it... Uh, it was Serena Braverman herself said back in November that the Tory party, the Tory government has failed to control immigration. And it's quite clear they haven't succeeded when you look at the figures in 2018, a few hundred uh, migrants crossed the boat, uh, crossed the channel in small boats. 2019, there was uh, 2,000. And 2020, there was 20, 2,000. There was 8,000, um, roughly. 2021, it went up to 28,000. Last year, 45,000. This year, slightly down trend on trend, but still 15,000. So it's pretty clear they've failed 
to tackle this issue of, of illegal migration. And and so far, Rishi Sunak, who has pledged to stop the boats by an indeterminate sort of time frame, we believe it's by the next election. He's he's certainly not stopping the boats. He's reduced the boats by about fifteen percent year on year. But um, August, September, October are the busiest months of the year. So I think we can only start to assess whether Rishi Sunak's plan is working when we come to October, uh, just after the Tory conference. And I think it's no surprise that as they come under pressure on this, you're once again hearing ECHR and other Tories going to campaign to leave there. Now, it's something we talked about too. I think there's, well, I think there's a few things going on there, which is, the the realistic option in which you leave the ECHR is that you would then, the Tories would pledge in their Tory manifesto to have a referendum on leaving the ECHR. I think that's more likely than saying, vote for us and we leave the ECHR. I think, because also it would be very divisive within the Tory party. I don't think the current Attorney General is a particular fan on this, uh, Victoria Prentice. She often makes, you know, lots of comments, uh, which, I'm, uh, you know, uh, which I think can be read to be warning of the risks of pulling out the ECHR. Lots of um, One Nation Tories would be appalled by it. Lots of Red Wall Tory MPs are desperate for it. Of those, those are blunt characterizations. doesn't apply to everyone. But Robert Jenrick this morning refusing to rule it out. And I think the, the point is almost as though because he has set himself on this path to stop the boats, to Matt's point, if there is no flight to Rwanda by the time of the next election, I struggle to see politically where Rishi Sunak goes other than a pledge to leave the ECHR. And I've spoken to you know, some in government who actually think that this is the way that you potentially win the election because it would be an issue to unite around. Would it solve all the problems? Probably not. And say the Tories, you know, <laughs> managed to make it across the line of a majority of two. I mean, good luck holding a referendum on leaving the ECHR. Um, but I wonder, Matt, do you think that leaving the ECHR would fix the problem? Oh, God, no. Uh, yeah, you were the first person to write about the, this idea of a referendum. And since you wrote it, I've, I've often brought it up in conversation with Tory MPs. Um, and the, I think uh, I, I think the new Conservatives that we, you mentioned earlier, I think they will push as hard as possible to have that in the manifesto. But if we thought Brexit was something hard to put to a straight yes or no vote. Then the European Convention on on Human Rights would be just uh, would, would be infinitely more tricky because um, it's it's uh, it affects so, so many parts of our of our uh, constitution, our legislation, everything from the Northern Northern Ireland Peace Agreement to our withdrawal agreement with the EU would be affected. And to grasp that in one referendum and one question and the rows and divisions that that would cause. I can't imagine Rishi Sunak would ever want to preside over that. But I think, if, as you said, if he's so desperate, the polls show the Tories are 20 points behind and it's the one thing that might win in the election, he might, he might, call, he might agree to have a pledge referendum and who knows, you know, in two, two years' time, they might have commissioned a review that says it's just impossible constitutionally. Yeah, and also you, you think of all the work he's doing in terms of trying to rebuild relations with the EU, the Windsor framework, it feels almost like, going completely against that to mm-hmm. then do leaving the ECHR, which is something you can see would, um, you know, cause issues with those relationships. But I, ju- I just think it's that space if you cannot get a flight. I, I think if, if Rishi didn't were to be able to get even just, you know, one or two flights from Rwanda, it obviously in itself is not going to be a deterrent. And um, there's questions, of course, as to whether it works, but I almost think it would be symbolic or en- enough, or well, that is at least just a view in government, that at that point you could probably say, you know, the beginnings of the plan are working, what do Labour do now? Whereas right now, because nothing 
substantially is working and because also the Tories are infighting it's very easy for you know Yvette Cooper and others to just not really have to justify Labour's plans so much Mm. and instead just say the Tories plans aren't working. Thank you Katie, thank you Matt and thank you very much for listening.